here in just a moment as we continue walking through the second letter to the Corinthians from Paul the Apostle. As we continue to talk about old becoming new. And this morning, uh, I, wanna, I want us to talk a little bit about identity and who we are in Christ. I, I don't know about y'all, but, but still even to this day, I think we have a debate in our house over who our kids look like more. I don't know if y'all experience that with your children, but, you know, we still kind of, you know, Josiah, I think he might look like me. I think he might look like his mama, Zoe. I'm 99.9% sure she looks more like me than her mama. Her mama's not happy with this. She's not here this morning, so I can say this. But, but you know, like, I don't know if y'all had that, but, you know, when they were babies and we would take them to my parents' house, oh, they look like so-and-so. They look like your grandma. They look like your grandpa. They look like your uncle. Take them to the other the other family, oh, they look just like us. They're, they're going to look just like us, right? And you have this big debate going on. You're like, they're like six months old. All babies pretty much look the same. And, and sorry, I, but but I don't. Your baby's the prettiest baby ever, I'm sure. But all babies pretty much look the same, right? I mean, it's hard to tell the the difference until they get on up in age. But why is that? Why do we fight so hard to to prove that our children look like us? Well, we, we want some pride in seeing, uh, you know, what we look like on them. We want to feel like they're carrying on who we are. For whatever reason, that's a big deal. The only problem is, is those little, little suckers continue to grow up, and as they continue to grow up, what happens? You're acting just like your daddy, right? So then it's no longer what they look like, it's what they act like. And I've learned in my home that when my children are sweet, they're, they're just like their mama, and then when they get in trouble, Josiah's picked up so much on this now, he'll say, Dad, I was acting like you again. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, that's what I'm teaching my kids? But, but the, the truth is, guys, and in all seriousness, we hope that we are passing along to our children not bad behavior, but good behavior. We hope that we're giving them a foundation on which they can stand and go out into a world that's just absolutely nuts. I mean, if we don't give them a foundation, who will? If we don't give them some solid ground, who will? And the same thing is true for us as believers. As we walk around in this world, where will we find our firm foundation? Where will we find our firm uh, foundation that we can walk on? And so as we come to 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul is writing to a group of people that he's wanting to give a firm foundation to. These folks lived in a culture that very much was the most sin, basically the most sinful city in the, in the empire of Rome at this time. In fact, when you wanted to say that someone was just really out there, you, you would say that they were Corinthianized, that they were you know, acting like those Corinthians. Basically what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, that, that type of city in which they lived. And so you can imagine living in that type of environment where sin is not only tolerated, it is promoted and being called to live and serve a holy God. There's going to be some growing pains in that situation. There's going to be some struggle as you learn what it looks like to walk in that environment. And, and so when we come to chapter 6, Paul is continuing to explain to the Corinthians what this looks like. And In fact, if you back up to verse 12 of chapter 6, he says to them, he says, uh, you're not restricted, that is, you're not held back by us, but you are restricted, you are held back in your own affections. So you're restricted by what you love, what's in your hearts. He, he's saying, I've shown you the truth of what it is to walk 
with Jesus. I've shown you the truth of what it is to follow after Christ as much as I can. You're not being held back by me. You're being held back by what you love, by what you desire. You're being held back by your own heart. I've given you the truth. I've done everything I can to teach you the truth. The rest is up to you. He says, open up your heart. And you come to verse 13 and he says, in return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. So I, I'm, I, I want to speak to you as if you were my kids getting ready to go out and face the world. This is what I would tell you. This is the direction I would point you in as far as having a firm foundation as you face this crazy world that we live in. This is how you would, what I would tell you to walk with Jesus. And guys, let's just be honest this morning. It is hard to walk with Jesus in this world that we live in. It's hard sometimes to know what to do and what not to do, no matter how hard we try. I know the other day I was uh, taking Josiah to school and he was talking and we were talking about heaven and hell and he was saying how he doesn't want to go to hell and how he wants to go to heaven and we were talking about Jesus and we were talking about the gospel and about following Jesus and he said, Dad, I just love him so much and I I want to follow him, but it's so hard. Like, that's basically the Christian life, isn't it? I, we, we love Him and we want to serve Him and we want to follow Him. But man, it's, it's just so hard. So how, how? How can we have this firm foundation? Paul's going to give us a couple of different things in this passage that shows us this. And this is just a, a few different ways that we learn what it is to follow Him. Before we do, let, let's, let's pray. Father, I pray that You'd be with us God, I pray that your gospel would be preached this morning. I pray that the good news about Jesus would be heard. God, I pray that you would intervene and intercede. Lord, we know that that you are the answer. God, we know that we are to follow you. But Lord, we need your help. It's just so hard. Would you help us in this place this morning? God, would you teach us in this place this morning? God, would you show us your grace and your mercy? Would you show us your love? Help us, God, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And so we we come to verse 14, and this is the first step, if you would. It it basically get your relationships right. Verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Then in verse 15, he says, What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer have? Share with an unbeliever. He says, get your relationships right. Get your partnerships right. Get the people who influence you the most in your life in the proper order. He's referring back to a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy where God had told them, don't uh, unequally yoke two different types of animals or two different strengths of animals together. Like you, you don't want to put a donkey and an ox, and, I, and I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about plowing a field uh, behind two animals, but... Basically, if you put one animal and an ox that's super strong and super powerful and is just going to move forward, and you put a donkey that's not quite as strong and is pretty stubborn uh, under the same plow, and you put them in the same yoke and the same harness, and they're, they're harnessed together, one of them pulls this way and the other pulls this way, you're going to have a mess before long, aren't you? You're going to have a broke plow, you're going to have a messed up field, you're not going to get anything done, because they're both going to be trying to go in opposite directions and at different times, and it's going to create chaos. Paul says... Don't do that with those who do not follow Christ. Do not uh, connect yourself. Do not so tie yourself down with a group of folks who aren't following Jesus. The way that we typically and most easily apply this is when it comes to 
marriage, right? I, I mean, it's the, the most uh, uh, close relationship we have, the closest partnership we have is with that person we choose to marry. He says, don't be un, uh, unequally yoked in the, the deepest of relationships that we have. Because what happens when we do? There's constant tension. There's constant pain. But not, not and, he, and then of course, and there's other places where he gives advice on that. He says, if you are, then you just love your spouse. You love them the best that you can in the name of Jesus. But, but he goes on, as you think about this, it's not just marriage, it's business partnerships. Like guys, if, if you have a Christian mindset and you're trying to follow Christ and you become a partner of someone who's not a Christian and they decide they want to do unchristian things, there's going to be this constant tension. What happens when they want to rip your customers off and you don't? Think what Paul is saying here. He's saying it's unsafe, it's unwise, it's not good to link yourself with those who are not following Jesus. He says don't enter into partnerships, enter into that type of fellowship with uh, those who aren't following Jesus because how can two walk together unless they're agreed? He says there's a very distinct difference between those who follow Jesus and those who don't. He says, what, what, what is there in common between righteousness and lawlessness? If you're walking towards righteousness and the person you spend most of the time, your time with or the people you spend most of your time with are walking towards sinfulness, how can you walk together? Paul has already said in his first letter to the Corinthians, don't be deceived. Bad uh, morals, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Like if the people you are running with are always running towards sin and always running towards the things that Satan wants, which direction are you going to be running? Towards sin and the things that Satan wants. He says, what does darkness have to do with light? He's already told us that, that he who said, let there be light, has shown in our own hearts to, to remove the darkness and make us see the glory of, of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the gospel. He's making a distinction here between those who are believers and those who are not. He's saying those who follow Jesus are, uh, are in light and those who don't walk in darkness. And if the person you are following, the person who you're allowing to lead you is in darkness, they're going to get you lost pretty quick, aren't they? Jesus said if the blind lead the blind, what's going to happen? Both are going to fall into the ditch. If you're connected to someone and you're tied up with someone who's always leading you, towards the things that God doesn't want you to do, and you're trying to walk towards the things God wants you to do, what's going to happen? There's going to be constant chaos, constant conflict in your life, or they're going to win the day, and you're going to end up in a very bad situation as a believer. And so he says, don't allow them to lead you. Instead, allow the lens of the gospel to guide you as a believer. And I really think that's why we get ourselves in so much trouble that's why our nation's in the shape it's in, because rather than allowing Christ to lead us, allowing Jesus to, following Jesus, we're allowing other things and basically just practicality to lead us many times. When we as believers, we are those who are of the light, are called to stand for what is right instead of what is wrong. And so we need to make sure that we don't allow unbelievers to lead our way, but instead allow Jesus to. He says, what does Belial have to do with Christ? And this really gets at the heart of what he's saying. He's saying you can't serve Jesus and the devil at the same time. And the, it, this word Belial was the Jewish word for worthless. It's what they began to call Satan between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so by this time, they, they would, when they referred to Belial, they would be referring to Satan, same name as, as worthless. 
And the truth is, is if we're following Jesus, we can't follow Satan. And if we're following Satan, we can't follow Jesus. But if the people we're following are following Satan, who ultimately are we following? See, that's, that's why we, we have to be careful uh, not, not to allow ourselves to get linked up with those who aren't following Christ because it will cause us so much pain and hurt. That's why a lot of times people who did not grow up in church, who have a pretty rough background, they come to know Jesus. After they come to know Jesus, all of a sudden you don't see any friends around them. All of a sudden they don't have anybody to hang out with because all the folks who aren't believers, and they start acting like a believer, they don't want to be around them anymore, right? Or many times those who are believers, they begin to not hang out in the same way. They begin to not do the same things they're doing, and they just eventually run out of friends. Not that they're shunning the folks who they used to walk with. It's just they have a new crew to run with. They, they're now walking with those who are in Christ. I, I think I've, I've shared with you guys before, not long after I, I came, well, it was a little bit after I came to know Christ, I, I was working at Pack Plaza Pawn Shop here in town, and <clears throat> I was actually getting ready to move to Memphis to go to seminary. And a guy I used to hang out with, a guy I used to run around with, came in the pawn shop one day, and he's like, hey, man, what's up? And I was like, what's up? And we began to talk, and he's like, what are you up to these days? And I was like, well, I'm getting ready to move to Memphis. He's like, why are you moving to Memphis? I was like, I'm going to go to seminary. He's like, what seminary? And I was like, well, that's where, you know, they train pastors. He's like, well, why are you going there? I was like, well, I'm going to be a pastor. And in the middle of the store, he laughed out loud. Like, everybody turned and looked. It's like, and he was like, oh. You're, you're serious. <laughs> you, you really are. And, and I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, we'll see you later. Like, that was the last time I ever heard from him. I, I think he forgot what he came in for. Because like, he, he never expected that out of someone like me. But, but it's because when Christ came into my life, he changed me. And as he changed me, those folks I used to run with no longer had any real intention of, of going in the same path I was going. It's not that you diss those folks. It's not that you even distance yourself it's that you don't spend the same amount of time with them. You no longer allow them to lead you. And, and just from experience, guys, it's so important that we as believers, we as those who have walked with Jesus for a while, when we see someone who's a new Christian, someone who's struggling in the faith, someone who's just coming in, it's so important that we spend time with them, that we develop relationships with them. Otherwise, you know what happens? They get lonely. They begin to look for fellowship. They begin to look for community, and the church is where they should find it, and they don't find it here. So where do they go? Back to the folks they used to run with. Well, where do they go? Well, I don't know. Would you ever talk to them outside of services? Well, no. I just assumed they would find their click like I have. It's important that we make time to spend with those who are new to the faith, those who are growing in Christ, instead of just looking at them and, and and judging them because they don't know how to hide their sin yet. It's important that we walk with people with Christ, that we teach them what it is to follow Him. That's what community's all about. And, and so we make sure that we are investing in others. We make sure that we're seeking out relationships. And, and, and so I ask you this morning, who's your crew? Who's your inner circle? Who are the folks who are most influential in your life? Are they believers or are they unbelievers? Like, do you, do you get your life advice from Dr. Phil and Oprah or Beyonce and Lady Gaga or maybe Justin Bieber? Is he still a thing? Like, is he still... Uh, anyway, the, or maybe the news or social media. I'm going to have to update my, my, my stuff here. I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with uh, current culture as I used to be, but I saw him on the, the Super Bowl commercial the other day, so I thought about Justin Bieber. You know, he was trying to sell me something. I'm like, dude, what happened to you? Anyway, but... Uh, 
Is that who we're following? It's like, is that the people that we're allowing to decide what we do and what we don't do, what we wear, what we don't wear, where we go, where we don't go? Or our primary relationships with believers, folks who are following Jesus? Guys, parents, are, are you helping your children see this? Are you watching out for them, helping them to develop good uh, biblical relationships with other believers? Helping them to not buy into being cool is what it's all about. Remember that your kids watch you and they see what you value. They see what you praise and what you desire. And their values will be what you value. And when someone says, oh, you're acting just like your dad or you're acting just like your mom, it's more than just being stubborn or or talking out. What they mean is, oh, you value the same things your folks value. When they look at you, do they see you following Christ or do they see you following the world? What partnership does light have with darkness? You can't follow Jesus and Satan at the same time. Then you look at verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their people and they shall be my God. This distinction between unbelievers and believers is apparently hard for the Corinthians to grasp hold of. Because apparently what Paul is saying here is, is what does the temple of God, as in you, have to do with the temple of these false gods, with these idols? Apparently what they were doing is they were going to church on Sunday and then the rest of the week they were going to the pagan temples, going down and hooking up with the prostitutes. And Paul's like, man, you can't do that. Like you can't keep worshiping these false gods and worship Jesus at the same time. It, it, it won't work. You can't do that. What, what fellowship, what agreement between these two things is there? And he's like, there's not one. You can't keep worshiping the world. You can't keep worshiping false gods and worship God. And, and I wonder as we look at this and we say, man, those people were messed up. Yeah, they were messed up. But so are we, aren't we? So often we come in on Sunday and we worship the Lord and then we go out and we worship the world the rest of the week. The difference is is that it's not quite as obvious anymore. It's a lot easier to hide our idolatry. It's a lot easier to hide the things that we love more than Jesus. So we we don't need a a place to worship that God meets with us at where we are. The Holy Spirit is within us, and so we we, we are the temple of God. And then in a special way, when we gather, we experience the presence of God. The Holy Spirit meets with His people. God has set His Spirit on us. And He says, you are my children He says, I am your God and you are my people. That makes a distinction between us and and everyone else who doesn't know him. So why would we worship the same stuff they worship? The one true God of the universe lives within us. And so that changes the way that we act. Listen to verse 17. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the Lord Almighty. And what he's doing is here, he's saying you don't run with the same folks you used to run with. You don't do the same things you used to do. There's a distinction between you and those who don't know Christ. You will look different. You will look holy. You will look not stained by sin. This doesn't mean you walk around flaunting your righteousness and flaunting your self-righteousness and calling everybody down for what they're doing wrong. Paul in no way here is saying go out and judge everybody around you. What he's saying is you act right. You do what I tell you to. Sort of the same as what, you know, when you were growing up and, and you would tell, you, tell your mom and your dad, well, everybody else is doing it. And they're like, well, you ain't everybody else. 
It's not that you're judging everyone else. It's just you have a different set of standards for the way that you live your life. That you live holy and you live pure, not stained by sin. Not worshiping the same gods as the rest of the world worships. And here's why, verse, uh, ch- verse 1 of chapter 7. Since we have these promises, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Remember from, uh, from chapter 6. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. He's saying since we have this promise that God is our Father and that we are His people and that He dwells among us, we live holy. In other words, we're not doing this to earn His favor. We're not doing this so that we can be His children. We do this because we are His children. And that's where many times when we read passages like this, we get it backwards. We end up doing what the Pharisees did, which was thinking that if we keep the rules and we obey the rules, we'll get stuff from God and God will be happy with us. But Paul has already said over and over again that it's not about us keeping the rules, that Jesus kept all the rules. He's given us his perfect record. He's given us his righteousness and given it to us freely. So we worship him because we love him. We worship him because we get to. We worship him out of a spirit of of fear or respect because of what God has done for us. Not because we're trying to earn it. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. You who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. My my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Quit trying to hold up all the weight of the law because you can't do it. Come to to me is what he is saying. Come and trust on me. It's sort of like um, in our our various moves uh, from place to place, Crystal and I have gotten pretty good at moving stuff. And by Crystal and I, I mean that she's learned that she gets the light in and she barely does it. And I learned that she barely, you know, it helps. And I mean, it is what it is, not, not complaining. But, but I know that if I try and put most of the weight on her and I'm carrying the light in, what's going to happen? It isn't going to be good for anyone, especially whatever we're trying to carry. It's going to fall, it's going to bust, it's going to break. Well, I'm, I'm afraid what happens very often is we think we can carry the whole burden of the law. And we read passages like this and we say, I'm going to double down and I'm going to be better and I'm going to do more. When the truth is, is what Paul is saying here is we already have a a, a glorious heavenly Father who loves us and has saved us. And because of that, we serve Him. Not to try and earn His favor, but because we have His favor. Because we are yoked together with Christ. Guys, that's the reason why we can't be yoked together with the world. The reason why we can't be harnessed together with the world is because we're harnessed together with Jesus. He is the one who is bearing the burden and we're walking alongside Him. He's the one who is guiding us, not the world. Someone has said this, that if, you're, if you are partner to the world or if you're harnessed to the world, don't be surprised when you end up plowing Satan's fields. Who is your partner in life? Who is the one guiding you this morning? Is it the values of the world? Is it the stuff of this age or is it, or is it Christ Jesus? And, and so we, we learn that we are God's people, that we are His special people called to live special. And so when we come through, down through chapter 7, and we, we just don't have time to look at all this this morning, but Paul, he continues on and he says kind of a, a funny phrase. He says, I, I'm really happy that I sent you a letter that made you all really sad and caused you a lot of pain. And then he says, but I'm, I'm not happy because of the pain. Besides, I kind of am happy because of the pain. 
because it did something in your life. It produced fruit in your life. It produced godly repentance in your life. And so he says, I'm happy because of what the result was. He's talking about the other letter he wrote to them where he said, you guys are messed up. You're you're messing up. Let me set you straight. And they repented. It caused them a lot of pain. It caused them a lot of grief. But as a result of that grief, their lives were changed. And so when you come down to verse 10 of chapter 7, he explains the difference between godly grief and grief that, uh, that uh, leads to re- death, really, worldly grief. He says in verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. do you love that? Salvation without regret. You don't have to walk on in guilt. You don't have to walk on in shame. You can walk on in sa- being saved without any regret left. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. He's saying the reason why I'm happy, the reason why I'm excited for you guys is because of what happened in your life. Because of the pain that you felt, your life was changed. You actually repented of your sin. You actually turn back from it. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but simply saying I'm sorry is not repentance. I, I try that all the time and my wife says, no, that doesn't count. Right? I mean, it's not just saying I'm sorry. It's actually not doing it again. It's, not, it's more than just saying, oh, I feel really bad that you're upset with me. It's, no, I'm actually not going to do it again. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mindset. It's a change of heart towards something. And so it's more than just saying, man, this passage of Scripture really challenges me. This passage of Scripture really touches me. No, it's, no, I'm actually going to obey God as a result of what I read here, regardless of the consequences. You see, godly grief leads to changed lives, whereas worldly grief, it leads to death. Because what does worldly grief do? Well, you may be really sorry. You may be really sad for a moment. But as soon as the consequences are removed or the feeling is removed, what happens? Go back to doing what you were doing before. It's sort of like when we, uh, when we moved into the, the parsonage in North Carolina for the, at the church we were at there. They had spent a lot of time and a lot of energy, a lot of, a lot of money fixing up the house for us so that we'd have a, a nice place to live. They'd painted the walls and everything. And thankfully, they'd left some touch-up paint because my daughter Zoe is an artist. I don't know if you know this or not, but she sees a blank piece of anything and it is her canvas whether that's a wall or, or anything. And so within a couple of weeks, we'd pretty much run out of touch-up paint, not due to the fact that we did not correct her. I mean, we spanked her. We took away her art utensils. I mean, you can judge us all we want, but we tried anything we could to get this little girl to stop drawing and everything she came in contact with. And every time she would cry and she would say, I'll never do it again. And as soon as we were out of the room, you know what she would do? If she had something to draw with, she'd be drawing on something she wasn't supposed to because she just wanted to see what it looked like. She thought if she could do it without consequences, it'd all be okay. Guys, that's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, I don't care if anybody sees me do it or not, I'm not going to do it. I don't care if I get in trouble for this or not, I'm not going to do it. When we understand that we are God's children and that He loves us, that causes us to say, you know what, I'm not going to avoid uh, doing what God has not called me to because I'm afraid of Him. I'm not going to do this because I love Him. And when you have that attitude, it changes your whole attitude towards sin because it quits being about what everybody sees and it begins to be about what God sees. And what does God see? Well, he sees everything. 
Let me, let me ask you this morning, guys, who do you look like? Do you look like your father? Or do you look like the world? When you look at your actions, you look at your attitude. Do you look more like a follower of Jesus or are you like someone who follows the world? Who are you partnered with? And I'm not just talking about on the outside. Because it's, it's easy. Let's be honest, it's easy to cover up what everybody sees. So everybody sees a nice little Christian veneer, isn't it? Talk about what happens in your heart. What, what are you thinking and what are you saying when nobody else hears? What are you thinking and what are you doing when no one else watches? When you think that you can get away with it? Are you walking in light of the fact that you are God's child? Or are you allowing the world to dictate what you do and what you don't do? Paul is saying here, you are God's child. Live like it. Act like it. You are a Christian. Act like it. Live as he has called you to live, not as the world calls you to live. Are are you going to walk out of here this morning with a a stiffened up neck and a hard heart and say, I'm not following you. I'm not going to do what you've called me to. Are you going to say, you know what, I'm I'm ready to change. I'm ready to follow you. Who's influencing you the most in your life this morning? Are there some relationships you need to re-examine? God's not calling you to abandon those people or calling you to abandon those friendships. But he may be telling you you might need to find some strong believers to replace some of those strong relationships you have to help guide you where you need to go. Maybe this morning you don't have time to help those who are in need because you spend all your time on you. Maybe this morning God is calling you to, to help those around you who, who are struggling, who don't have any other believers in their life. Maybe this morning as you look at your life and you say, man, my life doesn't look anything like I've been following Jesus. I, I've blown it completely. I don't think I can ever get on track. God, God is calling you this morning to remember what Jesus did for you. Remember just last week we read in, in chapter 5 that Jesus, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. In, in other words, Jesus traded his perfect record for our completely failed record. And, and so this morning as you look at your life and you say, I'm falling short here, I'm falling short here, I'm falling short here. Jesus says, yeah, I know, I paid for that. And I've given you a perfect standing with the Father. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you walking that out in your life? Remember, Jesus has already paid for you. But, but if you're here this morning and you're living in regret and you're saying, I, I don't see how I can fix everything, remember that God's will is always present tense. He's not asking you to go back and fix everything you did yesterday or even today. He's asking you to start living for Him right now. You, you see, guys, it doesn't matter if, if you're here this morning and you say, well, I'll take care of that next week or I'll do that next week. No, the, the question is, will you follow Him today? Will you repent today? Will you turn to Him today? If you're a believer and you're not walking with him and you look at your life and you say, the world's leading me, Jesus isn't leading me, will you repent of that today? As you think about this stuff in your life and you say, God would not want me to have that in my life, will you get rid of it today? Will you quit putting it off? Or maybe this morning, guys, maybe this morning for the very first time, you need to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers you. You need to receive the salvation that God provides for you through his Son who paid your price and offers you a clean slate. Maybe you need to quit talking about it. Maybe you need to quit wallowing in your sorrow, wallowing in your guilt, and say, you know what? You paid for my price. You paid for my peace. You paid for my forgiveness. You paid for my new life. Make me new. Make me whole. Quit putting it off right now. Ask Him to save you. 
you would, pray with me. And as you pray, uh, here in a moment, we're going to have a, a time of invitation. And if God is working in your life, would you come as we sing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that, Lord, you are good and that you love us. Lord, I thank you that you love us in spite of us. God, I thank you that you have provided Jesus and his righteousness in our place. Father, I pray that this morning no one would walk out of here without experiencing your presence and without experiencing your salvation. And Father, I pray that none of those who are here this morning who are believers would walk out of here without following after you, without trusting on Christ every step of the way. Lord, help us now. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with us.